Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So 1 John 3, verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. Esther, thank you very much for reading for us, and please do keep your Bibles open at that reading. If you have a pew Bible, it's page 1227. And let's pray for God's help as we look at his word together. Father, we do pray that you'd help us this morning to understand how your word applies to us here in a world where often genuine Christians experience hate. Would you help us to be those who love And help us, therefore, to be confident that we know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, I shared a house with a guy called Dave. Uh, One evening, I came home, and uh, there was a rather unpleasant smell in in the room. And um, I thought perhaps Dave's cooking had gone terribly wrong that night. It wasn't a good smell. Um, I didn't say anything Um, But then over the next few days, I kept coming back and finding that there was a lingering odor in the room, and it got stronger and stronger, and it wasn't very nice. It seems the same was happening the other way around, that I would be in the house, and Dave would come home and give me a a funny look as he walked in the door. And it it got so bad that we had a a conversation about the issue, and we discovered that it it, it wasn't Dave, and, and it wasn't me, that there was some other cause for this unpleasantness around the house. 
It got worse and worse, and then one night I came home and Dave had had enough. He had followed his nose, and uh, there were floorboards up everywhere, and there in the corner of the dining room, under the floor, was a dead rat. And we discovered where the smell was coming from. It wasn't Dave, it wasn't me. Good to know. 1 John is written to Christians who who sense something isn't right in their environment. There's something troubling them. There's something, there's a, there's a, if you like, a bad smell around in their community and it's causing them great distress. And they aren't quite sure where it's coming from. Is it us? Is it someone else? Where's the source of this unpleasantness? And John writes to encourage, Christian, you're not the problem. It's not you. But he also writes to show them where the problem is coming from. And it is coming from a shocking direction. The cause of their unease comes from those who are within their own community, their own church members, friends that they know well, people that they respect and look up to. They are the problem. John says there are false teachers around and their influence is destructive. It's not just a first century problem. Uh, back in 1 John 2, 18, a few weeks ago, we saw that uh, this is the last hour and a feature of the last hour is that there will be many antichrists who come. People who look like Christians but who somehow replace and oppose Christ. And as they live amongst genuine Christians, they cause great distress to that Christian community. And it happened back then in John's day. And John says, we still live now in the last hour, for Christ has not yet come. And so we too should expect there to be many antichrists also amongst God's church today. And so John's point here really isn't about the world out there. You know, perhaps the sort of Richard Dawkins of the world who, who kind of give us hassle as Christians. No, his, his main point here is about people who claim to be in fellowship with God, who are part of the church family, but who are the ones causing this great distress. And John writes to expose and to help the Christians understand. Last week we saw that no genuine child of God goes on sinning. Uh, John is, I think, referring in the first half of 1 John 3 to, uh, not, not to all sin, but rather to the great sin, the great wrongdoing of not believing in Jesus. And so we saw verse 10 last week. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Do you see anyone who, who doesn't do what is right by, by not believing in Jesus... That is one sure hallmark of the kind of person John is talking about, the false teacher. But notice he finishes verse 10 with this. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Here is another hallmark of the false Christians. A lack of love for other Christians. How can you spot where the problem is coming from? Well, John would say to us this morning in 1 John 3, as we finish this chapter, you look for love. It's the love question. You can spot the falseness 
by a lack of love, and, and you can spot the real thing by the presence of love. That's his point for us this morning. And so how does love work? How should we use love to help us work out the truth and the false? And so as genuine Christians, be confident. Well, that's our task this morning. I've got three headings to help us through our passage. The first is this, the importance of love. From verse 11 to verse 15, the importance of love. John writes, verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. John is, I think, talking about um, his, his first writing, his gospel, which they received from the beginning. It's the account of Jesus. And if you know John's gospel, then you know that there are a number of key references there to the importance of, of Christ's followers loving each other. Uh, if you have time later, look at John 15 and see the references there to, to his people loving each other. That's the message they've heard from the beginning. And John's point is, um, that's, that's central. It's right at the heart of Christianity, to love each other. It's not an optional extra that some people might go for, like heated seats or, or sat-nav in your car. No, to love other Christians is, is essential. It's right at the center of the message. And then John gives us a worked example, verse 12. He says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. There are lots of examples in the Bible of lovelessness. But uh, this particular example of Cain and his brother Abel, well, it's a particularly brutal, extreme example. It's It's murder. And so, so why does John go, go here when he could have gone to other examples? It seems a bit beyond our normal experience of the cut and thrust of our relationships. And this is murder. Well, I think it's because Cain and Abel were brothers. And if anyone should have loved each other, then it should be family. These two guys, they, they had the same parents. They were brought up in the same family. They shared lives together. They, they should have loved each other. And that is... That's why it's so particularly horrendous to see the hatred that took place as Cain was evil and saw the righteous deeds of his brother Abel and therefore ended up murdering him. That's the shock. These are brothers. Of course, there's a warning here for genuine Christians that we should keep on loving our family in Christ. But I think John's main point here is that his Christian readers are more like Abel in this story, rather than, than like Cain. They are the ones who are being hated by others. And I say this because of verse 13. John continues. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. John isn't talking about the world in general. As I said, he isn't talking about the Richard Dawkins of the world and those who hold that kind of line against Christians or even Muslim extremists who persecute Christians around the world. Now, his point here is to do with the false teachers. And just to, to show you this, it's so important to be clear on what John means by the world. Just glance across the page to, to 1 John 4 and verse 3. And partly down verse 3, he says... This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Or verse 5 of 1 John 4. 
They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. You see, in many ways, John is, is linking the, the Antichrist, the false teachers, with, with the world and worldly ways of thinking. And so back in 1 John 3, when John talks about the world hating the Christians, I think he means particularly those amongst the community who claim fellowship with God but who aren't Christians. And John says, don't be surprised when they hate you. Family, he should love, hating one another. I think of the church I went to as a student. Uh, The minister was a a faithful, godly man. He taught the word faithfully week by week. Sadly, he had to move on from the church family. And the denomination that oversaw the local church there decided that the church wasn't viable. Um, Hundreds of students went to it, but there weren't many um, regular families and and wage earners. And and the the giving just wasn't big enough to support a full-time post, so it was thought. And so the denomination announced that they were closing the church down they just couldn't keep it going and they put the building up for sale and um, this was distressing for the church family and for the hundreds of students who went and um, benefited from the teaching and when when word got out uh, nationally that this was happening another minister from somewhere else heard about it and saw a need and said you know what if they'll have me I'll go and I'll teach the gospel and so he went up he met the church family and they, they loved him and they said please come and be our minister And when the church family and this new minister together went to the denomination and said, look, we know you're going to sell the building. I know you're closing it down, but but could we buy it from you? Here's here's an offer that they they collected enough to, to meet the asking price. But when the denomination heard about this new minister's view of the Bible and of the cross, which was the genuine biblical view, they refused to sell the building to the church family and to the new minister. In fact, they ended up selling the building to a secular business below the offer from the church family just to stop it getting in the hands of the church family and the minister. John says, don't be surprised when people who you think should be on your side, who claim fellowship with God, hate you. I think up in Scotland, a matter close to my own heart, my parents still live there. Um, their local church, led by a brilliant, godly man, Church of Scotland. Over the last two years, if you know the story, the Church of Scotland have debated the view of uh, the, the, the authority of the Bible and how it works out in practice. That they've changed the historic position, and uh, people like my parents' minister had to leave the church over the changes, and it was painful and terrible, and many had to leave with them, including my parents. But not only that, the language being used in and around the dialogue as this all unfolded from the denominational leaders talking about the local church ministers who were standing up for biblical truth, the language was vicious and at times full of lies. It was vile. It was hatred. John says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. I fear that such matters are coming our way down south below the border. In the Church of England, there are severe and major discussions taking place over these years about key matters of lifestyle, but behind it is the question of the authority of Scripture. And I suspect that as we here at Forward stand for the authority of the Bible, 
there are going to be those around in the church, the wider church, who display their hatred for our position and for us. I think it'll become more and more painful for us to stand where we are. And so we need the warning of one John, that when we feel the external pressure on us and we're wobbling, thinking, is it us or is it them? John says, if you experience hatred, don't be surprised by it, but also understand the importance of love. For those who are genuine brothers should love the family of Christ. And so verse 14 is so important. John says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Do you see the importance of love? Love is a hallmark of the genuine Christians. And at this point, John is writing to his readers to reassure them. I think he's saying, look, you, you, you do love. Yes, not perfectly. Of course, you'll make mistakes in, in the moment, day in, day out. We, we don't always get it right. But when you see the kind of hatred the world has for you, then you realize that your faltering love is genuine and their hatred for you, well, it's just not from Christ. And so just as Cain's evil behavior led to murder and death, so anyone else who continues in evil also heads down the road of murder and death. Verse 15, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. I think it's a bit like oil and water. No matter how hard you try to mix the two together, they will not stay together. They separate. So too, I think, with hatred for the brother, the Christian, and claims to have genuine fellowship with God. They, they just don't mix. Here we are seeing, I think, the importance of love. And John writes at this stage to reassure his readers, don't wobble because of the false teachers. They don't love you. They don't know Christ. They don't have life. But if love marks out the genuine from the false, I guess the next question is, well, what kind of love is John talking about? How can we use love to help us differentiate between the true and the false? Well, that's John's next point. Point number two. The nature of love. This is from verse 16 to verse 18. The nature of love. Now look at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Here's the kind of love that, that John is talking about. It's, it's so very different from the lovelessness of the false teachers. I think he's talking about them in verse 17. He says, if, if, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? That's the false teachers. They, they have resources, uh, perhaps of money, of time, of ability to help, and yet they look at the genuine Christian brother and they are unmoved by the brother's need. They ignore. And so John says, look, how can they be the real thing? They have no concern for the Christian." And when John says that God, God's love is not in them, I think he means probably both love for God, but also a love that looks like God's love. 
And so John says to his Christian readers, we are to be very different. Do you see how he now turns to his readers? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. As I was talking about these words this week, I, uh, I, I was chatting to Tamar, and she um, just mentioned to me that how much of an impact these verses had had on her life. You know, Tamar, our children's worker. Well, apparently, she said her father had been in Prague in 1968, right as the Russians were invading the city. It was a time of tremendous fear and terror, and also great need for the Christians. And as he was there, he happened to open his Bible, and his quiet time that morning was from 1 John 3, these very words. 1968, and for the next 30 years, what he read there sparked off trip after trip after trip to Eastern Europe to help the brothers. Bibles, resources, massive practical care and concern for the church family. I guess some of us have heard Tamar's story about what happened in that family and particularly her father. That's the kind of love that John is talking about. We've heard this morning from the Brammels. They've seen a need up in Milnthorpe and they want to go to love. We've heard about their practical desire, the school gate and the allotments to be a part of the community, to, to love well and to speak of Christ Another example, not just of, how does John put it? To love um, with truth and action. What a great example. So often we take our cue from the people around us. We, we love as much or as little as, a, as people love us. Um, if we experience hospitality or a warm welcome or practical help, then we often do likewise in return. But John says, base your love on the example of Christ. Not because we've experienced lots of love from others first. Laying down our lives for others. I do think it happens here at Forward. Yes, in big ways. Think of examples like Tamar's family. But also in lots of little ways. It doesn't have to be the big kind of moves across Europe to demonstrate this love. Uh, When Norn and I arrived here a couple of years ago, just with a fresh pair of eyes, we were just thrilled Honestly, with the kind of love we saw happening within the church family, it was wonderful to see. The weekly visits, the phone calls, the, the, the paying uh, for someone to go on a weekend away who couldn't afford it. Lift to church, shopping for those who can't leave the house. Lots of different little ways of showing genuine Christian love. It, it is brilliant to see. And I think John would say to us, keep it up, keep going. But I think there's a more subtle application When we experience heat from the outside, it's very easy to turn around and to take that hate out on those we should be loving. John sees his dear brothers experiencing the heat and pressure from the false teachers and he says, don't pass that hate on to your brothers. Keep on loving them. Don't forget them. And I wonder if in the years to come as we experience, we might, I don't know if we experience hatred Uh, from the wider church and we experience stress and hassle it it would be easy for us wouldn't it to to let that kind of stress and hassle filter down through the church family to affect how we relate to each other we might become short with each other or if we don't all see 
the same position with regards to the wider issues. We might start judging each other for not having exactly the same position on these wider issues. Or we might be so preoccupied with the hassle from outside that we, we, we neglect the weak amongst us. John says, don't do that. The nature of love. Finally, the results of love. And this is verse 19 to verse 24. The results of love. Verse 19. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth. It's very simple, isn't it? We leave here today. We go away and love our brother and sister in Christ like Christ loved us, laying our lives down for them. And as we do that, we go, I know I'm the real deal. I'm a real Christian. Simple. Except it's not, is it? (laughs) It's not very reassuring at all. I guess that some days, on our best days, we will see glimpses, I think, of love for brothers and sisters. We we will make efforts on our best days. But there'll be other days. There'll be a day like my last week. There was a particular friend, not from this area, away, uh, um, different town, who I knew had been going through a difficult time, had been experiencing real pressure, and I knew that I should, I should call them. That would be the loving thing. They just needed a, a supportive phone call. And I didn't call them last week. And um, I remember speaking to Lorna about kind of just the, the need to, to make loving phone calls, and I remember speaking to her, just feeling the guilt that I should have called, but I didn't. It wasn't... <laughs> It wasn't that hard a call to make. It wasn't like sacrificing my life. It was just a little act of love, but I couldn't even do that. I guess I'm not alone in this room. We'll have good days when we love well, and we'll have days like last week. So what happens now? Does my confidence as a Christian fly out the window with my bad days? Well, this is where John is so very helpful. No, says John. Look at what he says next. I think there may well be a break in the sentence in verse 19. And then he begins a new sentence partway through, which we read like this. This is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us. You see, that's that's me last week. My heart condemned me. I should have loved, but I didn't. But our hearts, John says, can be at rest. How? Well, the answer has to do with God, not us. Verse 20, partway through. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. There are a number of interpretations at this point about what John means by saying that God is greater than our hearts. Um, It's not straightforward in some ways. But for what it's worth, I think what John is referring to here is God's love. God God loves in a greater way than we love. And as is so often the case, we need to keep reading in 1 John to discover what he means by God's greater love. And if we just flick forward again to chapter 4, we see this greater love. So look at 4 verse 10. John says, this is love. Not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
You see, God loves in a way that is far greater than our love. And in his great love, he has found a way to forgive all our lovelessness through the death of his son on the cross. And so back in chapter three, I think this explains the great transition. You see, in verse 20, John says that there'll be times when our hearts condemn us. We fail to love. But then by verse 21, he says, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. What's the difference between a condemning heart and a heart that is not condemning? Well, the answer is God is greater. I think it is God's greater love for us. It cannot be down to our ability to crack love. Who here can say we've loved perfectly? None of us, but Christ has. And so when we come to the one who has loved us perfectly, that's where we find forgiveness. That is where our restless hearts are quietened, where we find freedom from condemnation. So I didn't make the phone call last week. I should have done. My heart condemned me. Am I still a child of God? Yes. Because I come back to God's greater love. I remember that I am forgiven through the death of Jesus on the cross. And that is where I find my confidence before God. Not my performance, but the love of Christ. You see, our love will go up and down like a yo-yo. But, our, but a confidence based on Christ, well, it's steadfast and firm. The results of love. I think John would say to us that the results of, of love, God's love, is great confidence. That even though we fail to live up to this high standard, there is a way for God's children to, to fail in our love and yet be forgiven. And it leads, verse 22, to confidence in prayer. I don't, I don't think John is saying that uh, we'll get everything we want. I think the dynamic is rather that we are confident that we are in a relationship with God and it's real and active one. And that when we pray, we're not just bouncing off the ceiling with our prayers, but actually God hears us and he loves us. We are his children. And in his perfect wisdom, he will answer our prayers as he sees fit, but he will answer. As I close, I do think John sees another result of love. Yes, our confidence rests on God's love, not our love. But I also think John is saying that we grow in our confidence as we love others. There is, if you like, a link between God's love for us and how we love others. We saw it back in verse 16, but we see it also in verse 23 of 1 John 3. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. I think there's a link here. I think what John is saying is this. As we believe in Jesus, as we come to the cross and realize that his love is far greater than our love, that we are forgiven through the death of Jesus, so we are spurred on to love others as Christ has loved us. Oh, we won't do it perfectly. That's why we have to come back to the cross and find our confidence there. But the cross then sends us back out into our community to love as Christ has loved us. And as this dynamic is at work in the Christian's heart, well, I think we grow in confidence that we really do know God. 
As we come to the cross, understand his love, we're forgiven, we go back out to love others. We fail, we come back to the cross, we go back and love others. I think that whole dynamic actually builds our confidence that we are Christians. There is a certain kind of consumerist Christianity where we, we come to church meetings or to a small group to, to simply receive what we can get. So we don't contribute, we don't cook meals for people who need them, we, we don't make the phone call, we don't spend the time, we don't offer hospitality, whatever it is. And then we wonder why we don't really feel close to God and his love. I think John would say to us, get stuck in. Start loving. It will be messy. It, you will make mistakes. You will feel out of your depth. You will feel vulnerable. There'll be times where you realize that because you started to love, you're now in a much more difficult position than if you hadn't loved at all. Love has caused you to feel completely exhausted and beyond yourself. And perhaps you will then fail to love as you should. It might even lead you to the place where your conscience condemns you because you failed to love because you started to love. But when that happens, we then have a great impetus back to the cross, don't we? Back to where we need to find our security. And when we come to the cross again and realize how much we're loved... Well, then we're sent back out into the, into the community to love our brothers in Christ with renewed confidence. This is why I think the false teachers don't love. You see, they don't really know Christ. There's no genuine fellowship. And so they look at the cross and they're unmoved by the cross. It's not personal for them. They don't have that dynamic of coming back to the cross, being forgiven, going back out and loving the brothers. That, that just isn't happening in their hearts. That's why they don't love. But John says, verse 24, we know God lives in us because his spirit lives in us. I don't think John is talking here about a a particular subjective experience. No, for John here at this point, the work of the spirit is to convict us of the truth about Jesus and the cross. And John is saying, as the spirit kind of is at work in us, bringing about that dynamic of conviction and love, well, We know that we live in him and he in us. Much more on the work of the Spirit next week in 1 John 4. But for now, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the tremendous love of Christ for us. We thank you for the tremendous rock that gives us, even us, faltering as we are in our love. We thank you there is a way for us to be confident children, even though we're not perfect in our love. Confident because you have first loved us. Father, please, would that great love spur us on to love others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.